0: Would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, John chapter 1 this morning. We have a great privilege to um, reflect on something close to the theme of the season, and uh, I, I do um, love working through a series, and I do prefer that, but uh, it is also a wonderful opportunity To break from our series in acts and to consider uh, the the marvellous gift of Christmas, uh, the birth of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, God's Son. And so I thought we would turn together uh, to this uh, glorious book and I want to read to you the first 18 verses. So please give your full attention to the reading of God's Word this morning. In the beginning was the Word. He has made him known. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we do just say thank you for this word become flesh. And now as we pick up your word that is in our hands, that is before us, that is in our hearts and in our minds, Lord we pray that his name would be echoed through them. For he is here identified with them. Lord as we consider this great truth That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and was with God. Lord, that he became flesh and dwelt among us. That he was in the world before, but the world did not understand who he was. That he gives light to all, and that in him we find life. Lord, we pray that these truths would hit home afresh this morning, and that we would go from this place with Thoughts and hearts exalting the Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the uh, wonderful ways that God reveals His uh, Himself is uh, through names and titles, uh, names and attributes is actually uh, the traditional way in which the doctrine of God has been dealt with in the past. If you go through old theology, uh, theology textbooks, you'll often find two chapters, one dedicated to the attributes of God and one dedicated to the names of God. And that is uh, for good reason, because names tell you something about God. They tell you something about the person or the being that is being described. We seem to have lost that in the way we name things today, but it was very much part and parcel of the biblical landscape. So we have uh, names given to God that tell us who he is. We have the classic name of Yahweh, I am, I exist, uh, the simple word he is. Uh, a simple to be uh, built upon that uh, that verb uh, telling us about his, his eternality uh, that he never really came from anywhere he just is, he is reality he is the foundation of all other reality all other reality is dependent reality his reality is totally independent and not based on anything else exterior to himself, we get that from the name uh, the classic name Elohim the supreme one Almighty, all powerful. We come to uh, learn about Jesus through the names given to Him, through the Old Testament and the New. We have Emmanuel. Uh, What does Emmanuel mean again? Tell me, somebody. God, God, God with us. God with us. Yeah. Um, We have uh, titles given to Jesus: Son of God, Son of Man. Messiah, Christ, all of these have meaning, which convey uh, important truths about the identity of who Jesus is. It's all intentional and helps us to understand. Now, one title that is used to describe Jesus Christ, uh, which I think is underappreciated, we find in verse 1 of the text we've just read, um, that Jesus is the Word. It's used three times in verse 1. The Word, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God. It's used again in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now the reason this is maybe underutilized to a certain degree uh, is partly because it's not really a name or a title, it's more of a description, it's more of a picture of who Jesus is. Uh, We can argue about whether or not it constitutes a name or not. Uh, But at at the very least, we can say it conveys the same sort of information as a name would. It is painting a picture that helps us to understand Jesus Christ, understand his relationship to God the Father from all eternity, and understand what took place in the Incarnation, and help us to uh, uphold him and celebrate him and worship him uh, uh, accurately. John's intention... Uh, in using this title, I think it's profound. Uh, He is trying to show us that the work and life of Jesus Christ that he did while in the flesh on earth began and extends from the work and the life that he had before he came. That the two are linked and that the first is an extension of the second. So John, perhaps more than the other Gospels, really does focus on that aspect. Uh, really does uh, uh, help us to appreciate the eternality of who Jesus is and where he's come from. See, the, the other Gospels, the uh, synoptic Gospels, they, uh, they really start with the life of Jesus. In fact, uh, Mark starts with the ministry of Jesus when he's uh, already a grown man. Luke and uh, Matthew begin with the birth narratives. You could argue that they go a bit further back with the genealogies. They go back to, uh, with uh, Matthew, they go back to Abraham. And with uh, Luke, they go all the way back to Adam. But none of them go back further than Adam. Adam is as far back as you can get with the other Gospels. Then John comes along, and he goes back as far as you possibly can. He starts with, in the beginning. In the beginning of what? (coughs) Everything. (laughs) That's the point. In the beginning of everything, there was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He sees Jesus at that time, not simply as the Son, which He certainly is, but He sees Jesus as the Word, the eternal Word. And that is what I want to explore with you this morning. That we might get a a bit of a sense of what he's on about. Now it might get a bit heady, and I'm I'm worried that it will. Uh, But the goal really is that we might cherish Jesus Christ more fully. Because we know him a bit more fully. That we understand something more about who he is. His eternal relationship to God especially. His ministry within the world and his ministry today by the word that he is. I'm wanting to get an appreciation of that by looking at this idea, this picture. And I think I'm in good company uh, when I do that because that is John's purpose in his gospel. So John presents his gospel with a particular agenda which is clearly stated for us in chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31 he says i've included these miracles about jesus i've told you these things about jesus christ so that you may believe right so knowing something's important that you might believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his uh, in his name knowing things about christ believing those things about christ is john's agenda he wants to present Christ to you and let you see who he really is, that you might believe who he is and in believing have life in his name. Okay. So we're going to look at uh, this picture, this phrase, that Jesus is the word and what that means. And I don't want you to be scared, but I have six points, six things that I think this description of Jesus as the word tells us about Jesus. Okay. Some of them will be longer and others will be shorter. But we come to the number one, and this is what it teaches us first off. This description or this picture of Jesus as the Word, the Word who was with God and who was in the beginning and who was God, shows us how Jesus is present in the Old Testament. It connects Jesus with the Old Testament in a way that is uh, profound and important. And that's partly through... The obvious link between Genesis 1-1 and John 1-1. So in the beginning, that phrase that's used in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke his word. Let there be light and there was light. God spoke again and so on. it went. God creates the world through his word. John comes along and says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. So that is certainly uh, the way in which John is connecting Jesus with the Old Testament. But more than that, you see, it's not just Jesus was there in the beginning when God made the world. But this concept of Jesus being the word of God shows us how Jesus is actually present in the world from the moment God first spoke. That through the Word of God, the presence of the Word of God in the world, the presence of the Son of God was in the world. John 1, He was in the world, but the world did not recognize Him. Right? He was in the world before the Incarnation. How? As the Son, as the Eternal Word of God. You know, all through the Old Testament, all through the whole Bible, God's Word is far more than just noises that God makes with His mouth. That is not just what the word of God is. In fact, that's a really pathetic way to think about the word of God. The word is an active power. It is a force. It is a uh, a creating force. It is a destroying force. It is a an agent that is active. By God's word and by God's word alone, the heavens and the earth were made. Right. So Psalm. Uh, 33 and verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens are made, and by the breath of His mouth, all of their hosts. You can see that the word of God is is more than just noise. It has a power. It has an effect. It does things. Jeremiah uh, 23, verse 29. Is not my word like a fire, God says, declares the the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Amen? God's Word is like that. It says that God's Word is is on a mission. God's Word is active and it does things and it never fails to do what it is sent to do. If I could read to you Isaiah 55 and verse 10. It says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, Making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth; it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. I shall and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You get a sense of the the force, the power, the agency of God's word in the Old Testament, especially, but through into the New. As well, God seem, uh, that God's word seems to have a power almost of its own, but not an independent power, not by any stretch. It is the very power of God. It is the very power of the Father, but it does have a power that you could in some sense distinguish by virtue of the fact that you can distinguish the Word from God. The Word of God is active. it is an agent. So we see uh, a similar idea in that glorious text in Proverbs uh, chapter 8, talking about the Word of God personified, the wisdom, rather, personified. Let me read to you Proverbs 8 and <clears throat> verse 27. It says, when, this is a uh, wisdom talking as a person, when he, that is God, established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, and when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, when I, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. Isn't that amazing? It's hard not to see Jesus in that verse. It's hard not to make the... the, And it is a quick step you have to make going from Jesus is the eternal word to Jesus is the eternal wisdom. But it is a step that I think we have to take based on what we know of the word, what we know of wisdom proceeding from God, the creative power of wisdom, the wisdom of God And especially when we see these verses, verse 32 of Proverbs 8, it says, And now, O sons, listen to me. This is wisdom talking still. O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. That could be Jesus speaking. Like if Jesus said that in his incarnation, you'd believe it. You'd be like, yeah, that's totally on theme with everything about you, Jesus. And there's a sense in which it is Jesus speaking. That's the point I'm trying to make. The power of God's word, the power of God's wisdom, can be personified and is personified by John in John 1. 1. That's the point. We are being told about uh, how Jesus has been present in the uh, world before the Incarnation. John's picture of Christ as the Word that was in the beginning gives us ground to see Christ in these passages. To see him as the very force in and of the Word of God. To put it simply. The Trinity that is revealed in the New Testament as Father, Son and Holy Spirit is revealed in the Old Testament as God, Word and Spirit. John 1.1 is the bridge that helps us to see that and helps us to explore that as a theme and as a doctrine. So as you read the Old Testament when you see and hear and feel the Word of God Powerfully working. You can see and feel the word of Christ. The word Christ. Powerfully working. As you fellowship with God through his word in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. You are fellowshipping with God through Christ. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There is a sense in which every... Every word, every act. Every moment reading the Old Testament or any part of the Scriptures. There's a sense in which to do so is to experience the eternal Word. Christ Jesus. That it is not only that the Bible and that Jesus in the Bible speaks or that the Bible refers to Jesus' words. But that Jesus is actually in the words and is actually identified with the words. By virtue of the fact that he is the eternal word. You hear what I'm saying? Is your mind blowing? A little bit, eh? It connects us with the Old Testament. It also, this picture of Jesus as the word connects us oh, and helps to explain to us the eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. Okay, That's the second thing it does. But one of the issues we have with the doctrine of the Trinity is seeing how God can be three and one. Uh, in fact we shouldn't really think of God being three and one, we should think of God being three in one or one in three. See, history has been scattered, uh, has been uh, peppered rather with um, heretical positions that have strayed too far one way or the other, seeing God as 2-1 or 2-3. And really all of the the heresies regarding uh, the Trinity have fallen one way or the other. And that's not to suggest that there is a happy middle ground, or that there is a balancing act that you have to do, or that there's this kind of knife edge that you've got to walk between the two, even though it's kind of contradictory no matter what you do. That's not the point. The, The clear, historic, orthodox statement about the Trinity is in no way a contradiction. It is the statement that God is one being, one nature, subsisting in three persons. Okay, that's not a contradiction. And it is this verse, in large measure, not exclusively by any stretch, but in large measure, this verse in John 1.1, that is a basis for that statement, that orthodox statement, that God is one being in three persons. And we can see that from the way this verse is broken down. The Word was with God. Okay, so there's a distinction. The Word was with God. There's there's God and there's the Word, and they're with each other. There's a distinction. But the Word was also God, and the Word was God, okay? And so there is an identification, there is a unity. And that might seem like a contradiction, but here's where the idea of Christ as the Word really helps, and helps a great deal. See, there is a sense in which... A word is identical with its speaker. There's a sense in which we can see that, but also a clear sense in which a word is distinct from its speaker, from the one who speaks it. Think about this, Uh, the word in the Old Testament, was it different from God? Well in a sense yes. The word that we've just been talking about, this power in the Old Testament, was different from God, conceptually different. But is there a difference in essence between the Word and God in the Old Testament? Are they different in nature? I would say no. Because everything that you would say about God, the speaker, you would say about the Word. The Word has power, God has power. Does the Word have a different power from God? No. In fact, the power in the Word is the very power of God, you hear what I'm saying? The very power of the Father extends into the Word, proceeds into the Word, an eternal procession of power into the Word. The Word of God has purpose and mission. Is it a different purpose and mission from the Father? No, it is the very purpose and mission of the Father, but it is in the Word. It is conceptually different, but it is united in nature. You see where I'm going with this? There is wisdom in the Word. Is it a different wisdom from God the Father? No, it is God's very wisdom that is extended into the Word that comes in the Word. There is perfection within the Word. There is absolute truth within the Word. Is it a different truth, a different perfection? No, it is the Father's very perfection within the Word. And you could do this with every single attribute. Is there love within the Word? Is there omnipotence within the Word? Is there omnipresence of the Word? Is there beauty within the Word? Is it a different beauty from God the Father? It is the Father's very beauty within the Word. You see where I'm going with this? The idea of the Son being the eternal Word helps us a great deal in understanding how there can be unity and distinction, unity in nature, one nature, but distinction in, in uh, subsistence, in, in person, in mode. And mode is a word we can use, even though modalism's ruined it for us. But it is a word we can use. Everything that you might say about the essence or nature of the word, you would say about the essence and nature of the Father. In fact, it is the same nature. The word actually gets its essence and its nature eternally from the Father, just like the Son does. And this is all true, and yet there is distinction that we can see. Now, this all seems very uh, heady. I told you it would be. Uh, it's like, well, this is just sort of doctrinal mumbo-jumbo. This is all very complicated and difficult. But you probably haven't spoken to a Muslim lately, if that's what you're thinking. This is absolutely crucial for Christians to understand. Because the attack that Muslims bring upon Christianity is it doesn't make any sense because you've got this... Crazy view of God, where you've got one God and three gods, and one nature and three natures, and so on. And they intentionally and persistently misunderstand the doctrine of the Trinity. And we must intentionally and persistently point that out and say what we believe, and show how it is true in the Scriptures. Amen. And it is not just more. Uh, uh, it's not just Muslims. It is Mormons. It is Jehovah's Witnesses. It is Jews, Orthodox Jews. It is oneness Pentecostals. It is anybody who just wants to point something out at fault with Christianity. We need to understand these things, and we need to know about these things. This is off topic now, but one of the uh, um, one of the reasons for uh, the lineup of uh, courses that we're doing next year. Uh, next year, there's uh, four day conferences that the Reformed Baptist Fellowship is putting on. Uh, the third one in that lineup is going to be sort of the third. Uh, two-thirds of the way through next year, a date is uh, not set in stone yet. It's going to be on the Doctrine of God, looking at the Doctrine of the Attributes of God and the Trinity. Uh, And I'm going to be teaching that alongside Nick Cleverley from Timaru. So I'm letting you know well ahead of time uh, and you can be anticipating that because it will be greatly important. Okay. 26 minutes in. We've done two points. The next three are going to be fast. Okay, So we've looked at the, uh, how helpful it is that John would use this picture to talk about Christ, to talk about Jesus in regards to his relationship to the Father and his relationship to the Old Testament. But it's also very helpful, this picture of Jesus Christ, uh, to understand Christ's ministry to us. So not just his relationship to the Old Testament but also and, and to the Father, but his ministry to us. It is really the the unifying idea behind Christ as the prophet, priest, and king. So let's just go through those quickly. How do I figure this? It points to his role as prophet in the sense that he is the eternal communication of God. He is the eternal word of God. For what is the definitive characteristic of a word? A communication. It is a, a prophetic thing. And so for Christ to be the word makes him uh, the prophet in that sense. And the prophet in a far more profound way than any prophet has ever been. Because in this case, the word didn't just speak. The word became flesh. In this case, it wasn't just flesh communicating the word. It was the word taking on flesh. It was the most profound and most... Accurate and most full expression of God's prophetic word to the world through his son, the very person of his son coming in the word, coming in the flesh. You see how these, these dots are all connecting together? See how it's all fitting together? That means that everything Jesus did, every breath he took, every thought he had, every word he uttered, every expression on his face was prophetic in nature because it was the word being expressed through the, through the flesh of Jesus Christ. That as we come to know who Jesus is as a person, we are coming to know the Word of God in a profound way, in an amazing way. It reveals the Father so fully. Only Jesus could say, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. No prophet could say that. No other prophet could say that. Because he was the essence of God in the flesh. Uh, Number two, I want to talk about the king. This picture uh, of Jesus as the word points us to the office of the king, uh, his kingly role. Because how does God rule his world? How does he rule his world? Through his word. Isaiah 55, God sends out his word. And it does not return to him void, but it accomplishes everything for which it was sent. God rules his creation by his word. God smashes things by his word. It is that hammer of Jeremiah 23. It is a kingly word. It is a kingly sword. The word is like a sword. We read passages like uh, we did last week in Acts 19. And the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You could you could just replace word with Christ in that verse and it would make perfect sense. And Christ continued to increase and prevail mightily. Because Christ is operating in and through his word. The word, the eternal word of God. The Lord reigns by his word and through his word. The Lord reigns by his son and through his son. Lastly, uh, the priest. It points to his office as priest. Because what do words do? They mediate a relationship between people. When someone speaks to somebody else, a a relationship forms that could only be formed because a communication has taken place. God has connected himself to us by speaking to us and by speaking to us ultimately through the incarnation of his word, Jesus Christ. So God instructs us by his word. That's the prophetic work of Jesus Christ. God rules us by his word. That's the kingly work of Jesus Christ. And God fellowships with us by his word. That's the high priestly work of Jesus Christ. Are you all following me? You are doing okay? We've got one more. We've done five. We jumped from two to five quickly, didn't we? Okay, so now we're up to uh, number six. And this is the last one. The identification of Jesus as the Word not only tells us about the importance of his relationship to God in the Old Testament or the relationship to his ministry through the Word, it also tells us a great deal about the importance of the ministry of the Word today. The importance of the ministry of the Word today. See, the ministry of the Word is the ministry of Jesus Christ. As we preach the Word, We preach Jesus Christ. As people believe the word, they believe Jesus Christ. As people receive the word, they receive Jesus Christ. As people put their faith in the word, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. As people abide in the word, they abide in Jesus Christ. As the word abides in people, Christ abides in people. As people build their house upon the rock, they build their house upon the word, they build their house upon Christ. Do you see? As we preach the word, we preach Christ Jesus. You see how much is contained within John's wonderful words. In the beginning was the word, and now the word has become flesh. There is, sorry, this is uh, why we should never read or preach our Bibles without looking to Jesus Christ. This is the, uh, the logic behind that. It's not simply that the whole Bible uh, whispers Jesus' name, though that certainly is the case, but rather that the whole Bible in a very real sense is Jesus. That the whole Bible in a very real sense is the presence of the eternal Son, the eternal Word. To do so, to preach a portion of the Bible, to preach a portion of the Old Testament or even the New Testament, and not mention Jesus, or mention the main thing that the Word of God does, which is to come in the flesh and die for our sins. To not mention that is to make a contradiction and an absurdity of the Word of God. It is to put a division within Christ himself, put a division within the Word itself. We must preach every portion of the Word of God with Christ in our minds. With Christ being the goal of that proclamation. To do otherwise is to uh, be a contradiction in terms. We must also love the word as much as we love Christ. For how could you possibly say you love Christ but not his word? That would be a contradiction. That would be like saying I do love you but I don't love you. We must love the Word because it is in the Word that Christ is. That Christ is the Word. Don't ever pick up your Bibles and think that you are doing something insignificant. When you read this book and when you understand this book, you are in a very real sense, in a very real sense, taking Christ himself, The Word is not only about Christ, but in a very real sense, the Word is Christ. When Christ's Word abides in you, Christ abides in you. We think of the great gift that we have in having access to the Word of God. And how wonderful it is that we have access to Christ Jesus. In the word of God that is before us. Christmas is a a time where we can remember that in history the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But if we understand what John is telling us in this one verse, John 1 and verse 1, If we really understand the implications of that, then we can say that the word has indeed been among us from the beginning. That the word has indeed been present well before he was present in the flesh. That from the very first moment God spoke and made fellowship through his speaking, there has been Christ in the world. There has been the eternal word In the world. Adam had Christ. Noah had Christ. Abraham had Christ and was saved through Christ because they had the Word. And you have Christ too. And what a mighty portion you have. We have the full Bible in front of us. The full Word of God in front of us. And so I would tell you this Christmas day, this Christmas Eve day, to love this book, to treasure this book, to abide in this book, to abide in this word, for by so doing, you are loving, abiding, hearing from Christ Jesus himself. That something of who Christ is, is communicated to you. As you reflect upon the word that is eternal. The word that you can read and understand before you right now. Amen? Amen. So that was my attempt to confuse you all. That was my attempt to uh, just extrapolate and expand and expound. Really just one word at the beginning of the Gospel of John. This amazing statement which should hit you afresh this day as we look to Christmas, that in the beginning was the Word, and that the Word was with God, and that the Word was God, that He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and that the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, we have seen His glory. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father we give you great praise and honour because Jesus Christ has come that Jesus in his eternal state was with us sent by you, by your lips, by your command to be present in the world, to create to sustain, to uphold and to save and that this very word, Christmas day 2000 years ago became flesh and we have seen his very face We have beholded his glory. And one day we will stand face to face with him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.